Yes, this is the Well Actually Podcast. Thank you for joining me. I want to say a big thank you to everyone who shared links for the podcast in one form or another on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, uh, and to the people who decided not to help. Don't worry, it's all good. No hard feelings. I, I just winked there in case you didn't get that. But anyway, I'm pleased to announce the podcast is now available on iTunes and Apple Podcasts to go along with Spotify and Google Play. So please remember to subscribe, rate, and review. These things matter in helping the show reach a wider audience. So on today's show, we're going to talk about the college bribery scandal. We're also going to touch on the latest developments in the Jesse Smollett case. Then we're going to get a bit of a Mariah Carey appreciation. And finally, I'm going to give a brief review of the movie Us. So in case you don't want to hear anything about that, that's going to be all the way at the end. All right, so let's get to it. So I want to start off talking about the college admissions bribery scandal, AKA Project Varsity Blue. In case you're unfamiliar with the story, I'll give a brief recap. The feds arrested a man named William Singer who is a college admissions consultant based out of Newport Beach, California. I mean, just, just look at that job title for a second. A college admissions consultant. Anyway, uh, 33 parents, including actresses, uh, Lori Laughlin, who played Aunt Becky on Full House, and Felicity Huffman, who played Lynette Scavo in Desperate Housewives. Uh, they were all arrested and their charges included bribery and racketeering for the purpose of fraudulently getting their children to college. I mean, the details of this scandal are pretty crazy. I mean, he, <laughs> William Singer, he basically had like this entire network set up where he had control of certain test centers where these college admissions tests were being taken, like the SATs and ACTs. And at these test centers, he had people who would change the answers for your kids after they took the test. Or if you took like the deluxe package, you would have someone who would actually take the test for your kid altogether. And then you would basically place an order for what kind of score you wanted. And the parents would also like mark down that the kids had a learning disability so that they would get all the extra time they needed to take the test. And then the payments for this scam range from 15K to like 75. Fam, they were paying $15,000 extra for the opportunity to go and pay more tuition. Like that's how you, you just realize that some people are playing on like a totally different playing field. But in some cases, Singer would even pay off coaches and like athletic directors at these universities so that you, these kids would get slots that were saved for scholarship athletes, what they would offer to these people who were paying. And in one, one instance, Singer paid off uh, the Yale women's soccer coach, paid off $400,000 for one kid who had absolutely no interest in playing. And like these instances with like the athletics, they would go as far as photoshopping 
the faces of these kids onto the bodies of other high school athletes. Like in one instance, there was a pole vaulter. They photoshopped the picture onto his body, and that's what they used as the the high school career in terms of athletics. And these kids were guaranteed into these colleges. And I guess you're thinking like this is a foolproof plan, like all these people were paying and they were getting in. So like, how did like things switch up? Like, what happened? So the juicy part is that Singer actually got caught because when he was he was approached by federal agents like back in September, and they charged him with money laundering, conspiracy, racketeering, and obstruction of justice. Because like all of this was being done under the the umbrella of a non-profit organization. So you know Uncle Sam, like they're like, you could do whatever as long as we get our cut. And once money was being moved around in a fishy way, that's when they looked into it and they got him. And so once they got him, he actually did try tried to be cool and like called all those people like, yo, the heat is on, don't don't uh you guys need to lay low. And then <laughs> A little while later, he called them back and he was like, he like basically was like restating their entire arrangement while the feds were listening. And man, you, you really, you really can't trust these people, man. So sure, I'm sure many of you are like, uh, of course, rich people are paying for their kids to get in school. Like, how is this illegal? Well, Singer basically told him like, yo, you guys are rolling the dice with all this donation stuff. I'm giving you like a guaranteed admission. It is like 100% foolproof. So back to how this is different from rich people simply making a donation. In that case, they can claim like the donation can be used to set up like scholarships for the less fortunate. And it could be used to build facilities that would help the school reach out to more people or assist more students. And fine, that might just be like an elaborate justification of what they're doing. But even in that case, it usually doesn't involve like a tacit agreement for admission. It usually just means your application would get a much closer look. But then this now leads me to when Dr. Dre put up like a celebratory, what shady picture of his daughter's admission to USC. And the caption read, my daughter got accepted into USC all on her own. No jail time. Yeah, that's all well and good. Like, And for all we know, she could have done it on her own. But fairly unfairly, it was brought up that Dr. Dre and Jimmy Iovine made a $70 million donation to USC six years ago. And man, with that kind of donation, it all but guarantees your kids are getting into that school. Like... I, it, like your kid could be as dumb as rocks and there's no way like they're gonna say uh, uh maybe we could like work something nah your kid is getting in and she could have been a straight A student with a thousand hours of community service and all the extracurriculars you could dream of but like I said failure or not that's what a lot of people are gonna think and maybe that's even why he went out there and put out that picture claiming that she did it on her own merits and that's something we'll never know and that's another thing that this whole thing comes back to the fact that 
parents wanted to do all this and make it seem like the kids did it strictly on merit like it somehow speaks to this like innate talent that the kids have which in turn sort of plays up their parenting skills in a way that fairly or not it calls everything into question and what now makes the story even wilder is there have been a bunch of lawsuits which have resulted from this and I think a bunch a couple of people are trying to get together to form a class action lawsuit but the wildest one is one parent filed a 500 billion dollar lawsuit claiming that her son was denied admission to some schools based on these other parents buying their way in at this point i don't think we've heard the last of this story uh, maybe some people are gonna cut some deals or roll over on some people but i know a lot of coaches have been fired already and some athletic directors too so I know we haven't heard the end of this story. All right, we're gonna take a quick break here and we'll be right back. So I saw some breaking news about uh, Jesse Smollett and apparently the Chicago DA decided to drop all charges against him and the judge sealed his record. Uh, as part of that, he forfeited his $10,000 bond and did about two days of community service and I was trying to do like a little bit more like research or however and I kind of got caught in uh, conservative Twitter aka I'd like to use the n-word but I don't want to get fired Twitter and all I saw was privilege this and celebrity that and then it hit me like oh so so y'all have been listening this whole time and it's not like they were doing like this par sarcastic parroting where they, they use your words against you. But no, they were like, they were like genuinely like hurt that like, so you mean to tell me like a celebrity can get away with this heinous act and all that? Like, like they had never seen like a miscarriage of justice like this. And I'm like, first of all, Susan, do you really care about the plights of minorities or L folks of the LGBT community? Like, y'all don't care about any of this but the fact that it's a black man y'all like they just lost their mind and like second of all cody like do you realize that hate crimes are up 17 percent like in the numbers that were recorded in 2018 so these are 2017 numbers and like that jump is like the largest jump since 2001 right after the 9-11 attack and I thought, okay, let me do some more digging into this because everyone is throwing out this whole thing about how nobody's going to believe victims of all these hate crimes because of these hoaxes. I'm like, okay, you know what? Let's dig a little deeper into these numbers. So since 2016, there have been 46 confirmed hoaxes with regards to hate crimes. And these all range from somebody who was at the wrong place and didn't want to be in trouble for being there and claim something. And I'm like, okay, 46, that sounds like a lot of hoaxes. Like, these are like false accusations or whatever. When you consider it's 46 out of 21,000 reported hate crimes. That's just since 2016. You're like, oh, it's diverting energy from all that. No, where is your energy 
with regards to these 21,000 hate crimes. Nothing. You, you're just you're just sticking to this one and like, oh, how are we going to believe anybody else? It's funny. I, I, I seem to remember like this whole rhetoric being used in another sort of instance, but I'm not going to get into that now, but I'm sure some people can read between the lines there. And like, and then another issue with this whole, uh, with the 21,000 is that's just reported hate crime. So there some instances where like the crimes are really apparent, they don't even get reported as hate crimes. So then, so then what do you say? For instance, uh, the dude in Charlottesville who drove his car into the crowd where he killed one person and injured dozens more. Do you know that wasn't even considered a hate crime? Like it wasn't reported as such. But anyway, that but that's just like that's not even what I wanted to get into on the whole Jesse Smollett situation because at the beginning, in the middle, or even at this end now, like people who thought he was innocent at the beginning probably still think he's innocent now. And whoever thought he was guilty probably haven't changed their mind. I wanted to focus on one part that stood out to me in particular. And it was in the reporting and in the news conferences and all the information that was coming out during the quote-unquote investigation where the, the perpetrators or the people who were his co-conspirators in this whole thing were termed the Nigerian brothers. No names, no nothing, just called the Nigerian brothers over and over and all it was was Nigerian brothers this. And first of all, these two dudes, born and raised in America, like as American as anybody else, but you could tell like they were using that as a sort of dog whistle, like, hey, I'm using Nigerian, you know what that means. And that just rubbed me the wrong way. Like, so you mean to tell me like, once you put out the word Nigerian, it just has this negative connotation where, hey, there's Nigerians involved, so you know it's gotta be illegal. And man, that just struck me as like, the most like underhanded, diabolical type situation where I did, I did not see that as, as responsible in any way. And the fact that the media and the police and everyone just kept parroting that over and over and over. Like, these dudes have names. You could have used their names. But the fact that you just kept terming them as Nigerian, as if everybody's supposed to understand that being Nigerian or being of Nigerian descent just automatically qualifies you as, as a criminal or a shady or as underhanded. I don't know. It might not be something that a lot of people picked up on or maybe something that a lot of Nigerians picked up on, but a lot of other people might not have. And and that was one of my big takeaways from this whole situation. And it really rubbed me the wrong way. And now that this whole case has been dismissed, I know some people are upset about it, but I just hope like whatever conversation that was supposed to happen or whatever way some people feel about it, they can just put this whole thing to bed because it was really bringing out the worst in a lot of people and whatever the justifications for it, it, it didn't hold up when you put it to the light. All right, uh, right now we're gonna hear a word from our sponsors. That's right, we have a sponsor now. So uh, please remember to patronize our sponsors. We'll be right back. Have you or a loved one been victims of the long lines at the Nigerian Embassy? Well, you're in luck. Introducing NoQ, which is three easy payments of 
you too can skip those long lines and be disappointed much sooner. No, this only gets you to the front of the line. It doesn't guarantee you a passport or a visa. No queue only accepts money orders. No cash and definitely no checks. Alright, welcome back. So, this topic kind of felt like fate in a way. So, I woke up like early Saturday morning. It's the kind of early where you think you can squeeze in a few more drops of sleep and like if you just don't open your eyes, like you can just trick yourself to go back to sleep. But I couldn't get like this thing out of my head, like this melody, this song. And it turned out to be a one sweet day like that song by mariah carey and boys to men and but i was determined to get some more sleep so i was like i was tossing turning closing my like all the tricks that you normally use to go back to sleep and at one point i just i wasn't having any success so i just i just pulled out my laptop and and basically i played one sweet day like five maybe ten times in a row and you know how these YouTube rabbit holes go. Like one thing just led to another. And I was just like looking at Mariah Carey music videos. And I was like, yo, like you forget how many hits she had. Like hits, like classics. And like by herself, she had like three different eras. And that's when I was like, yo, it just brought me back to something in a previous episode where I decided to be more active in my curiosity so i decided to do some digging and i already consider myself a bit of a mariah carey fan but i like when i saw a lot of these things i even i was shocked so like in terms of her accomplishments or achievements or however you want to term them like some of these things were like genuinely shocking to me and i was like whoa so like i just want to run through a couple of them real quick so what, the first thing that just jumped out to me is that she was the first and only artist to have their first five singles go to number one. So she didn't she didn't like sneak up on anyone like, oh, she was like underground and then everybody like got on her. No, like right out the gate, number one, just all four singles from her first album went to number one. And then the first single from her next album went to number one. Like just heat after heat after heat. And then when you now stretch it out even further than that, but 13 of her first 19 singles went to number one. No, I don't mean like they charted or they were top tens. No, they went straight to number one. <laughs> like, how do you even, like, how do you even fathom that? And that's just like part of her career. Like, that's less than halfway through and she already achieved that much. And then the part that another part that really stood out to me was, I think what some people might call like the crowning achievement of her career is when she released All I Want for Christmas is You. And that song, let me, let me, let me, let me slow this down for you. That song, when it, it came out in 1994 and it peaked at number three, but since 1994, that song has charted every single year. That's 25 years in a row now. Just think about that. It's like once it's Christmas, like you're you're more likely to hear that song chart than to actually get snow. Think about that. 
like around Christmas, you're more likely to get Mariah Carey all out for Christmas than actually get snow. And it's generated over $50 million in royalties for her. Do you know what that means to have that kind of? That's like having a lottery ticket. Like it's winning a lottery that says, oh, win a hundred grand for every year for life. That's, that's what she got there. And then, so I can't really mention Mariah without like mentioning some of like her difficulties that she had. Like she had like this little downturn around like the glitter era, which was kind of coupled with the fact that the soundtrack came out literally on September 11th. So it sort of just like compounded like the fact that the movie itself kind of got panned a bit. And well, she took some time before she was able to get back because that was around the time she had just signed a deal with Virgin Music, like a hundred million dollar deal. It was like a five album deal. But after like the tough time between, I think, uh, Glitter and Charm Bracelet, they settled for like 50 million. That's just, that's still something special, but that was a settlement because they're like, no, we're not, we're not going five albums with you. And then she came back with, uh, We Belong Together. And that, that was called, that was, I think that came out in 2008 and Billboard called that the song of the decade. So this is already after the whole beginning saga of 13 out of 19. Then she had like a resurgence there as well. And it was just, I like, I was just in awe of her achievements. And, and I, I just want to specify this. Like, so in this, the history of human beings producing noise to make sounds and singing and all that. I just want to say it very clearly to anyone who is listening and don't take offense to it because it is the truth. Mariah Carey is better than your favorite and your favorite's favorite. Once it comes to this vocal stuff, not, none of them are Hamid's. Like, none of them. You name them, not Hamid's. Just, just don't, don't, don't argue. Just accept it. Be happy and move on. And then she... Like last year, she opened up about how she was diagnosed with a bipolar 2 disorder. But she was diagnosed back in 2001, which was kind of in the middle of when a lot of her troubles like in the media sort of played out. But she kept it private this whole time because I guess she didn't want it being public. Well, I'm, I'm happy that she was able to come out with it and, and she's been able to deal with it this whole time. And uh, I, it's also... It, the why, reason why I said it was fate in a way because today happens to be Mariah Carey's birthday. And what just made the whole thing even funnier is that some places say she's 49 and some say she's 50. So it's like just apropos of Mariah where like as a diva, like, hey, you don't really know her real age. But yeah, I just wanted to... I guess it turned out to be a little bit of a tribute to her. But yeah, happy birthday, Mariah. So we're going to take a short break and then we'll be right back. So normally this is the part where I do like the recommendations for the TV shows. But I want to do something a little bit different today. Uh, I was going to do a review of sorts for the movie Us. So if you haven't seen it, you might want to skip ahead a bit. But it's not really going to be 
any spoilers, but it might change how you view the movie a bit. But I don't do horror movies. I don't do them at all. Not even on dates, not anything. I'm like, why am I going to go pay to get scared? But I was like, you know what? I I like what happened in Get Out. I thought it was a dope movie, so I'm gonna go see this. And what I heard from other people that it was a really scary movie. So I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna go see this movie. And it better be as scary as y'all say. Like, it better be so scary that I pass out in the theater. So I went there, sat down in the movie, got there early, watched the previews and everything. And then the movie starts. And honestly, I was disappointed. Like that, and this is not to be contrarian or have like a hot take. I just, I was disappointed in the entire thing. But the funny thing about it is, I'm just, I'm happy that, I'm happy that I had built up so much expectation for this movie. And it was, that's it, it was just a disappointing movie. And it doesn't become like a referendum on black filmmakers or black film or anything like that. Because God knows how many of these other movies have been the most hyped up thing and they come out and and it's just a dud. But again, it made 70 million opening weekend. So a bunch of people saw it and I'm sure a bunch of people saw it multiple times. So specifically about the movie, I want to say like the opening 15, 20 minutes were so slow so dull and it might have been by design just to like like stress certain things about how it was going to be like uh like contrasting the way the rest of the movie goes but it just played out so slowly and then one thing that i i went into it looking at like i pay attention to the opening credits and this was very much a lupita film like Lupita is definitely the leading character in this movie and when you like read these clips or see videos of how she prepared for the the role and the technique she used okay that part was creepy I was I'll say like yeah that was that yeah I yeah I can't even front that that part was a big yeah it was creepy and I found actually found myself laughing during this movie like I went in totally prepared to, to be scared as hell and so it just it sort of rubbed me that way where it was like the there there I, I there weren't enough moments that made me jump you know it was like it didn't it didn't do that for me but I will say I what I will say about that I give this movie credit for is that the twist yes there is a twist that that okay i will give credit for that because then when they run it back and they show you what's going on and you now insert the twist into whatever it's like oh okay i i see i see what you did there all right i, I respect that i can respect that all in all i thought it was a decent movie i like how certain things were shot in the movie and i think some of you might find some of that stuff like crazy as hell like it might scare you out of your minds so you might not want to take my word for it but that's just my two cents on the situation and like i said i'm just happy like we there's an opportunity where a black movie has this much hype and 
it gets to be disappointing to some and not be the end of someone's career where it's like oh that's it besides it the, with the way it's going to gross jordan peele is definitely getting a bunch of more opportunities regardless of what anybody says and i think that's pretty dope as well so recently i saw a story float around about delia umuna becoming the first nigerian professor at harvard law school and this being a podcast that hopes to highlight and celebrate the achievements of Nigerians in America, as well as it being Women's History Month, it just seemed like the perfect story. So I decided to do a little digging. Yeah, that's that active curiosity again. But to my surprise, I saw Professor Umana was actually appointed back in 2015. So let, let me make this abundantly clear. In no way am I diminishing this achievement because it, it is really a big deal. What I am saying is that journalists, bloggers, and other disseminators of information need to do better. The whole copy and paste and forward without verifying thing is lazy, and frankly, in some cases, kind of dangerous. Like, literally, the least you could do in that profession is put out accurate information. Anyway, Professor Romano published a really interesting article titled Rethinking the Neighborhood Watch how lessons from the Nigerian village can creatively empower the community to assist poor single mothers in America. Uh, it's going to be posted on the wellactuallypod.com in case you'd like to take a look. So here at the Well Actually Podcast, we would like to celebrate Professor Omana, even if it is four years late. Also, I'd be remiss if I didn't give a shout out to Ruth Okediji, who joined Harvard Law School faculty back in July of 2017 as a tenured professor of law. So while we were celebrating our first, we actually had two Nigerian professors of law at Harvard. Coincidentally, she was a mentor to the young lady who became the first black woman elected president of the Harvard Law Review, Amemi Umana, back in 2017. So as Women's History Month winds down, we would like to take the time to celebrate the achievements and accomplishments of these amazing women. So that brings us to the end of this episode of the Well Actually Podcast. I want to remind you to please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Yes, we're on Apple Podcasts, iTunes Now, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Or if you don't have any of those, you can always listen directly on thewellactuallypod.com. You can follow on various social medias on Facebook and Instagram is the Well Actually Pod. On Twitter is the WA Pod. And you can join our conversations with the hashtag the WA Pod. I'll talk to you again soon. Take it easy.